It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Is murder ever justified? Yes, you say. Self-defense. I agree, but what if you take self-defense out of the equation? Maybe you're thinking, well, if the person is a murderer themselves and that person is sentenced to death, what if convicted murderers are taken out of the equation too? Are there more instances where murder is justified? The sailor in the story I'm about to share with you believed that it was. He hoped others would believe him too. Today's case is about sailors aboard the Minionette who did something so terrible they feared for their own souls. You're listening to Twisted Travel and True Crime. Welcome aboard. I'm your host, Sandy. Normally, I record aboard our 36-foot sailboat, but today our sailboat is pulled out and it's in the yard getting some work done, and we have rented a house from a local, so the sounds you'll hear in the background today are goats and chickens. We only have the place for two days, so it'll be back to recording on the boat next week. In the meantime, the kids and I are enjoying showers and a great internet connection while my husband sweats his butt off sanding, repairing, and painting. Boy, do I feel guilty. I'm also very grateful to him for taking on these projects. I'm also grateful to a couple of our listeners. I'd like to start with Julie Kay, who says, I love you and the podcast. Well done. Keep them coming. Thank you so much, Julie. I'd also like to thank Jay Cargill 31 who left a wonderful review on iTunes. She says, I've literally become addicted to this podcast. It's presented so well, and your voice is so calming. I waited for today's episode and was thrilled and shocked to see that you gave me a shout-out. I'm even more of a fan now. Well, I'm thrilled that you took the time to listen, rate, and review the podcast. It really means a lot to me, and I'm so thankful to all you listeners who do so and to those of you who share the podcast with your friends. You're all the best listeners. Thank you. Enough small talk. Now on with the show. In the later part of the 19th century, it was fashionable in England to belong to a yacht club. Private yards and yachting were symbols of wealth, courage, and success. Many yacht owners sailed in their own ships, while others, even more wealthy, hired professional crews with captains. One of the many yachts in England during the time was named the Minionette. The Minionette was a 52-foot-long cruising and fishing boat. She hauled with her a dinghy, 13 feet long, 4 feet wide, and 20 inches deep. The dinghy was used to transport people and items from the shore to the Minionette. The boat had just been sold, and her new owner, a man from Sydney, Australia, was a lawyer by the name of Henry Want. He came to England specifically to buy a fast 40-ton yacht to take back to Australia, which he did and arranged for it to be sailed home later that spring. Thomas Dudley Riley was the captain hired to bring the boat the 16,000 miles to Sydney. Captain Tom Dudley was no stranger to the sea or to boats. At only 10 years old, he began life on board. 
He signed on as a boy in the Royal Charter, where he worked for six years. Can you imagine sending a 10-year-old to live and work on boats alone with a bunch of strange grown men? I have four kids on board. Mine would complain so much the men would probably toss them overboard. Obviously, times were much different then and people were more trusting, or maybe more desperate. Tom Dudley grew up on boats. When he was 16, he worked on a schooner called the Iris and quickly became an able seaman. He earned reputation for courage and good seamanship. He was a short man with reddish colored hair and a beard, and by all reports, he was an experienced, courageous sailor. One of the newspapers of the time described him as possessing the character of a bold and fearless man, much sought after by owners of yachts. So it was no surprise that his name was brought up to sail the mignonette to Sydney. The terms of the contract were generous, and there was a possibility that once in Sydney, Tom could have become the captain of the mignonette full-time. This was in spite of the fact that he had a wife and children in England. I suppose his life, his love, and his lady is the sea. In May of 1884, the mignonette was prepared and outfitted for the 16,000-mile journey. Captain Tom hired a crew of three. These consisted of Ned Brooks, who was 39, Ed Stevens, who was 37, and a young boy named Richard Parker, who was 17. Ed Stevens was very experienced as well. He had been sailing since he was 14 and became a master mariner. His career was the rocky one, however, because he had a disaster at sea while serving on board a boat called the European. Because of this disaster, he was having trouble finding positions on different boats, but he was given a chance to redeem himself while serving on the mignonette. Ned Brooks was the third experienced sailor. He had become a yacht hand and was very close friends with Captain Tom Dudley for several years. They had worked on racing vessels together, so the three adults had a lot of ocean-going experience, and Richard Parker was working his way up the rope ladder in his sailing career. Richard Parker was born to Old Chick Parker, a yacht skipper, and his wife Mary Parker. Sadly, Richard was very young when his father died. He and his older brothers had to fend for themselves. He never learned to read and couldn't sign the ship's papers, but he loved to travel and was thrilled with the opportunity to sail to Sydney at age 17. In May, the crew was ready to go, and on May 19th, they sailed from a village near Southampton. The voyage was supposed to be long and hard. They expected it to last between 110 and 120 days. They first decided to sail to Portugal and pass close to the volcanic Cape Verde Islands. These are located off the west coast of Africa. After that, they would sail to Cape Town, South Africa, and then on to Australia. On June 1st, they reached Portugal, where they provisioned with meat, water, fruit, and vegetables. They didn't linger long there, and by June 17th, they had already crossed the equator and had moved into the South Atlantic. In the South Atlantic, the winter winds had kicked up, as expected. The strong winds and seas had raged. On July 3rd, the mignonette sailed into the eye of a severe storm. Two days later, the sailors were still in heavy pounding seas. On that fateful day, Captain Dudley reported that he saw very high seas about to break over the land. Then he heard one of the men cry out that the mignonette's side was knocked in and she was sinking. Nate Stevens later recalled that he cried out, My God, her top sides are staved and she's sinking. Captain Dudley gave orders to lower the dinghy. Young Richard Parker got some water from the mignonette, but had to throw the cask 
into the ocean because lowering it into the dinghy would have been too risky and might have damaged it. Dudley, as the honorable captain, was the last man to get into the dinghy, but before he did, he grabbed the sextant and a chronometer and took the time to climb into the cabin to throw cans of food toward the dinghy, but only two cans of food made it into the dinghy. Stevens, Parker, and Brooks all called out to Captain Dudley to hurry and get into the dinghy. Within five minutes, the mignonette sank, leaving the three men and the boy floating out in the small dinghy in the middle of the open sea. The sea was raging. Even though these men were able seamen, it was still quite the challenge for them. They got the dinghy right side up and pointed it into the waves and the sea. They rode the storm out this way, but they were never able to find the cask of water, and the only food that remained in the dinghy were the two cans of turnips. Now, I've never tasted canned turnips before, but I imagine they aren't very good. I had to do a little research, and according to a homesteading website, they're the unsung heroes of the homesteader's garden. They're super easy to grow and produce tons of food. They're also full of vitamin C, so maybe that's why they were brought along on this trip, to prevent scurvy. Captain Dudley described the scene. He said, it was a very bad sea, like a mountain at times, and water was coming in faster than we could bail it out. As night was coming on, we only had one baler on board. At about 11 p.m., I should think, by the looks of the moon, a large shark came and knocked his tail against our frail boat, which made me think that our time was near and he'd be dining off our bodies. But I prayed that we might be spared and we might all see home, if possible, and live a better life in the future. The night rolled in and out, and the dinghy was tossed to and fro. There were 700 miles from the closest islands and from people. Captain Dudley asked the men to pray with him, and all four asked that they be spared through this ordeal. When dawn broke the following morning, they reassessed their situation. They had no food and very little water. They had a single oar to row with and a useless anchor. The good news was that the sea had calmed enough and the wind changed, leading a little more towards the southeast. Captain Dudley wrote a note to his wife that read as follows. The mignonette foundered yesterday. The weather knocked the side in. We had five minutes to get in the boat without food or water. Captain Dudley asked the men to relinquish their shirts, which they donated gladly, and they pieced together a sail from the cloth. The first day was spent sailing along slowly in calm seas. Three more days went by, and Dudley had rationed all of their two cans of turnips. Finally, a rain shower came, and the men were able to catch water in their clothing. A little later in the week, Captain Dudley spotted a turtle. First Mate Stevens leaned over the dinghy and grabbed it by the fins, throwing it into the back of the dinghy. Brooks, who had been the cook, was very excited. He said, I can tell you that we were so pleased with the prospect of having something to eat, and you can have nothing better at sea in the shape of a fish than a turtle. The captain was able to kill the turtle with his penknife. They caught the turtle's blood in the chronometer case and drank it, and then they proceeded to cut the turtle into strips and hang the little bits around the dinghy to dry. They lived on turtle jerky for a few days. They chewed the bones and chewed at the skin for extra nourishment. Between the turtle and the turnips, they managed to survive through July 17th. This was 12 days into their ordeal. 12 days with very little water and very little food. By July 17th, 
Their water was totally gone, and they began to drink their own urine. Their lips and tongues were parched black and swollen. Their legs and feet were swollen, and their skin was beginning to develop sores and was severely burnt. The remains of the turtle were gone, and there was no more food. The men were desperate. The youngest, Richard Parker, was so desperate that he began drinking seawater. This is a huge mistake. Humans cannot drink seawater because our bodies can't process the amount of salt contained in the water. Typically, when we consume too much salt, we need more water to filter it out of the body. On July 20th, Richard drank a lot of the seawater. He became very sick and lay on the floor of the dinghy groaning and gasping for air. He soon became delirious and then comatose. His kidneys were likely starting to shut down. The three adults tried to comfort the boy. They told him, cheer up, Dickie. It will come out all right. But the men knew the boy was not going to live for much longer. On July 21st, Captain Dudley wrote what he thought was going to be his last farewell letter to his wife. In it were the words, quote, We have been here 17 days. We have no food. We are all for living, hoping to get a passing ship. If not, we must soon die. I am sorry, dear, that I ever started on such a trip, but I was doing it for our best. I should so like to be spared. You would find I would live a Christian life for the rest of my days. If this note ever reaches your hands, you know the last of your Tom and loving husband. Goodbye and God bless you, your loving husband, Tom. That same day, young Parker was still feeling terrible. There were no improvements in his health. At this point, Captain Dudley brought up the idea of drawing lots, which is something similar to what we call drawing straws. The person who draws the short straw loses. They want to do this to determine who should die so that the others might be saved. How would this help? Well, the loser would be murdered and cannibalized. Captain Dudley said, We should have to draw lots, boys. But the unanimous response was, No, we had better die together. Brooks, the acting cook, was always against drawing lots to determine who should die to save the others. For the moment, the matter was dropped. Later, Captain Tom raised the question of drawing lots again. Young Parker was laying in the bottom of the boat, groaning, but not moving. Captain Dudley said, if three of us are to live, one has to die. Mate Stevens and Brooks demurred. They said, we shall see a ship tomorrow. Captain Dudley persisted on drawing lots, but Brooks refused, and Stevens concurred with him. During the night, while Brooks was steering the dinghy as it sailed, Captain Dudley took Stevens as far away from Brooks as possible and asked, What's to be done? I believe the boy is dying. You have a wife and five children, and I have a wife and three children. Human flesh has been eaten before. Stevens demurred once again, saying, Let's see what the daylight brings forth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. 
The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. At dawn, Stevens relieved Brooks from steering. As they scanned the horizon, the men saw no sails and no ships. It was in that moment that Captain Dudley was successful in turning Stephen's will. They made a plan in which young Richard, the boy who was lying at the bottom of the boat with the arm over his face, was to be killed. Captain Dudley then told Brooks to take a rest and get some sleep. They watched Parker in the bottom of the boat. The boy was gasping for breath, but otherwise wasn't moving. At 8 a.m., Captain Dudley looked around and could still see nothing on the horizon. He asked Stevens to hold Richard's legs if he struggled. In Captain Dudley's own words, this is what followed. No vessel appeared in the morning. I made signs to Stevens and Brooks that we had better do it, but they seemed to have no heart to do it. So I went to the boy. He was laying at the bottom of the boat with his arms over his face. I took out my knife, first offering a prayer to God to forgive us for what we were about to do and for the wish that our souls might be saved. I said to the boy, Richard, your time has come. The boy said, right now, mister? I said, yes, my boy, and I put my knife into the side of his neck. The blood sprayed out and we caught it in the baler. We drank the blood while it was warm. We then stripped the body, cut it open, and took out his liver and heart. We ate the liver while it was still warm. Stevens, at that time, was in the stern of the boat, and Brooks was in the bow. The men drank the blood and ate the heart and liver, and during the next few hours, Richard's body was dismembered. They used the dinghy's brass oarlocks to cut Richard up and to hang his flesh to dry. Brooks later described the scene as, quote, a horrible sight, make no mistake. Captain Dudley said, quote, I can assure you I shall never forget the sight of my two companions over that ghastly meal. It was like we were all mad wolves. The men feasted on Parker's body for four days. Dudley and Brooks consumed most of the carcass, while Stevens ate very little of it. Captain Dudley was convinced that this would save their lives. They were now stronger and feeling like different men. On Tuesday morning, July 29th, a sail was sighted in the distance. According to Dudley, he said, on the 24th day, as we were having our breakfast, as I will call it, Brooks was staring out to sea. He shouted, sail, true sail. It was a sail, and it was everything they prayed for. It was about 6.30 in the morning, and Brooks had shouted, oh my God, there's a ship coming straight towards us. Stevens waved a shirt. The ship saw them and brought the men on board. He sent two of his crew down to help the three men in the dinghy. Once on board, the rescued men were given small glasses of water, food, and some brandy. As the men were being rescued from the dinghy, it still contained the remains of young Richard Parker. There were just a few ribs left now and a few pieces of dried flesh. The rescued men were treated with kindness and their health conditions, swollen feet, emaciated bodies, black lips, and skin sores were all treated. When the sailors finally arrived in England on September 5th, Captain Tom Dudley voluntarily told customs officials that he had to kill Parker. 
The story spread like wildfire throughout the English countryside, and despite Dudley's insistence that he was the ringleader and that Brooks and Stevens were innocent, all three men were arrested. There was a preliminary inquiry to determine whether the charges against the men should proceed or whether the men should be set free. Captain Dudley believed that he should surely be set free because he had saved the lives of three men at the expense of one, who in his opinion was, for all practical purposes, dead already. All three men appeared before the courts and were charged with murder. The penknife used in the killing was introduced and the men collaborated with each other's stories. The defense urged the judges to consider the great universal principle of self-preservation. This allows every man to save his own life before the lives of others. It seemed the townspeople were in agreement. They were in favor of the three, quote, heroes, and a benefit night was arranged to raise money for their defense. A local news story was printed, and it stated, It is utterly impossible that men can endure the tortures of 19 days of starvation, exquisite agony of a longing continuing thirst, the anguish of mind at the prospect of an excruciating death, without the mind becoming, at measure, at least a little bit deranged, and without us becoming to the fullest extent irresponsible for their actions. The newspapers also printed Tom's letter to his wife that he had written in the dinghy. The prosecutors needed someone to help fight the case for them, so they chose the most obvious of the three men, the one who had not participated in the killing and had not agreed to the murder, the cook, Brooks. The prosecutor asked the courts that Brooks be dismissed from all charges if he gave his testimony. The crowd in the courtroom burst into applause. The prosecutor then went on to say that the men knew the difference between right and wrong and that many people believed a man should die himself rather than escape death by the murder of an innocent person. They referred to previous cases in which men had agreed to draw lots to pick the one that had to die. In those cases, all the men were in agreement that one of them would die. In this case, however, the young boy was never given the opportunity and one of them had not agreed to the proposed terms. When Brooks was brought to the stand, he was asked, When all of this took place about casting lots, what did you say? Brooks' reply was, I said let us all die together. I should not like anyone to kill me, and I should not like to kill anyone else. Although this was the case, Brooks still ate more than his fair share of Richard Parker. When the jurors were sent to come up with a verdict, they came back with the verdict of guilty. Although the jury had found the men guilty, they could not come together on punishment, and so they put that punishment into the hands of the judges. For five more days, the case was argued back and forth amongst an expanded panel of judges. The men were eventually found guilty of murder, but they were only given six months in jail. It's hard for me to make a determination on my feelings about this case. It's easy for me to say, oh, you know, they probably would have been fine for three or four more days but their bodies knew better than I do. They were on the verge of death themselves. I have never been that hungry, but I would also not want to die. I think I would do whatever I could to live. Public opinion at the time was strongly in favor of the sailors. Their reputations were good and they were heroes in the eyes of the public. The question really being asked was, when is it okay to take the life of another in the eyes of the law? All lives are precious, and common law has always been made to protect human life. 
It's believed that this case attracted so much attention because it involved the killing of a young boy rather than a grown man. I think the most disturbing thing for me was the boy's last words. He was responsive and clearly understood what was going on and was questioning, why him? He was too weak to defend himself, but still he was lucid enough to understand that he was going to be killed. That bothers me. Why not wait for him to die and then eat him? Perhaps the blood needed to be drained from the body to drink, and that's why he had to be killed. The Mignonette is only one seafaring story where murder was deemed necessary by the living participants and then backed by the majority of society. There are more. One of the most famous sea disasters in American history was the saga of the William Brown. Seaman Alexander Holmes was charged with murder for throwing men overboard in order to save the women and children. The William Brown sailed in waters 250 miles southeast of Cape Race, off of Canada's east coast. The boat suddenly jolted when it struck an iceberg. It sank quickly. On board were 17 crew members and 65 passengers. The captain and crew sprang into action. The captain, the second mate, and the crew lowered the longboat that was 22 and a half feet long and 2 and a half feet deep. They also launched a smaller boat called the Jolly Boat. The captain, the first mate, seven of the crew, and one passenger slithered into the jolly boat. The longboat was filled with the first mate, eight seamen, 32 passengers. Seaman Alexander Holmes was in the longboat. In all, there were 41 people, men, women, and children, smashed together in that small, misnamed longboat. None of them were dressed appropriately for the weather. They were cold and wet and were crowded like sheep in a pen. They were calling to the captain in the nearby jolly boat. Seaman Holmes pleaded with the captain to take some passengers onto the jolly boat. If the captain didn't agree, Holmes said, we're going to have to cast lots and throw some people overboard. The captain shouted back, my God, don't speak of that now. Let it be the last resort. He did not, however, take any of the passengers. The captain thought to himself, Poor souls, you're going down in a short time, and before we do. The boats began to drift apart throughout the night, and by the next morning they had lost sight of each other. The captain's final words to the passengers in the longboat were to obey the crew. The longboat and all 41 people on board were in great danger. The boat had already begun to leak. Even without a leak, it wouldn't have been able to support half of the people who were crowded onto it. A cold rain started. The falling water was icy. The sea grew heavier, and waves splashed onto the boat and soaked the passengers. Pieces of ice were floating all around. The longboat continued to sink slowly. By Tuesday night, the crew had to do something. The passengers had buckets and tins, and by constant bailing, they helped keep the boat afloat. Their hard work and effort, though, weren't enough. The boat was continuing to sink. That night, First Mate Holmes and the rest of the crew began throwing passengers overboard one at a time, against their wishes. Fourteen male passengers were forcefully and violently thrown into the ocean. Few words were spoken, and the soon-to-be-sacrificed men seemed to quietly accept their fate. Holmes ordered the crew not to separate man and wife, and not to throw in any women or children. No lots were cast. In the end... Only two married men and a 14-year-old boy were not thrown overboard. Not one of the crew or the acting captain was thrown into the sea.
When dawn broke the next morning, acting Captain Holmes tried to raise a quilt as a sail, and he saved a young woman who had fallen overboard. Late in the morning, the passengers were saved. There was a good chance none of those men had to die. Holmes was accused of unlawful homicide. His punishment was only six months of hard labor and a $20 fine. Let's just say it could have been much worse. I hope I am never, ever in a situation where I have to make choices like these men had to make. I'd love to hear your opinions on this case. If you'd like to reach out, you can find Twisted Travel and True Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Or you can reach us at twistedtravelandtruecrime at gmail.com. Please come and share your opinions on this case. Or if you'd like to make a case suggestion, I'd love to hear those too. I'd like to thank Joseph Simeone. I likely butchered your name. I apologize if I did. He wrote a great article in the St. Louis University Law Journal. It's called Survivors of the Eternal Sea, A Short True Story. This is where I found a lot of the information from today's case. It's a great read if you'd like to learn more about the mignonette. Thank you all so much for listening, and I'd like to wish you all fair winds and following seas. Do your very best to avoid any raging storms and be forced to eat your friends.